0: G'day, listeners. This episode is proudly brought to you by our major sponsor, supshq.com.au. Use code BENS15 at checkout to receive 15% off on your
1: next purchase.
0: G'day, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Matter Mentality Podcast, where we talk all things training, nutrition, and psychology to optimize your performance. This episode, we are moving towards a new segment with an expansion to the team. We're going to start trying to pump these out probably fortnightly. I will aim to endeavor for, if you will. Don't know if that's going to occur, but we'll, we'll do our best. But we are joined by newest parts of the Matter Coaching team, Tom Axelson and Rowan Herklotz. How are we, guys? Good, man. Good. Doing
2: well. Doing well.
0: So. We are kind of, I guess, officially announcing the expansion of the team, which is um, pretty, I want to say humbling to me. Like this all like started, I don't know, what, three years ago now is me just chatting shit and sharing content. And now we actually have a podcast table of different experiences and knowledge to expand the client result, I, I guess, amongst the team, which is pretty cool to see for me
1: yeah i mean yeah, I you're still it's... just talking
0: shit and whatever but <laughs> yeah i feel like nothing's changed but anyway because <laughs> yes. the, the roles has gone from being client talking shit to now also being coach and talking shit yes
2: yeah and now you got us two to talk more shit as well so it's just like
0: <laughs> yeah. well that's what i mean the, the expansion's gone from client you talking shit to now coach you talking shit our clients don't get any step extra up benefit there. from it. It's just more shit talking at a higher authority.
1: <laughs> there is no more education added to this. Yeah,
0: the educa- education standard stays the same. The shit talk just is a little bit higher. Yeah, that's what,
2: that's what people pay for. <laughs>
0: that's what. more do you want? But no. So the the exciting part to me is that where where there's going to be a lot more experience to offer as well. I think a, a big a big part to to coaching that people fail to understand in this day and age is that there is a part of being textbook coached and there's part of being like textbook based. But the other part is that I find some of my best results has come from coaching someone from my experience, not so much my knowledge. And I think between us, which is gonna make it a bit more unique is there's a variety of background, different coaching styles, but also very similar philosophies, experiences, uh, the ways in which we do things that I think is going to be unique and beneficial to any client that comes on board. And it's something that we want to hold consistent is that you'll get a unique approach or response from myself or Rowan or Tom, but you'll have underlying premises and uh, principles and philosophies that will kind of be consistent across the board. So yeah, I kind of guess it's like a, a good open slather to dive into a bit of background between all three of us and the, the culmination of knowledge and information that we'll have to to share and chat shit with and i'm I'm sure we can rip on some bodybuilding and other banter and whatnot as well we hope so (laughs) this is a half hour 45 minutes of me cop shit (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyway i guess the uh the starting point will be um just a bit of background i guess like between between you two because i'm sure everyone's heard enough of me talking but I guess the the background in coaching, background in knowledge, background in experiences, and competing and things like that, that will kind of make us a bit different and unique. Yeah, because it's one thing to have a a competitive background, it's another thing to have, I guess, an educated background, and it's another thing to have both of them together. So, Rowan, give us a bit of background about you.
2: Um, all right. Well, I've been training for nine years now. Um, in the gym specifically, right. I've been playing yeah i know unfortunately (laughs) um but i've been playing sports since i was six years old um and then essentially found the gym and found bodybuilding after um a couple of serious knee injuries playing rugby um and decided to give up rugby and moved into kind of full-time gym training and competed for the first time in 2015 um and when i say competed um i lost a bunch of weight looked really skinny on stage and then kind of (laughs) gave it up for a couple of years um, and then came back and did uh, season a last year. And then just starting prep for season B this year. Um, so I guess that's my kind of gym training background. Um, studied physiotherapy, working as a physio at the moment um, and just finished my master's in strength conditioning. So adding a little bit of more of the rehab side of things to my repertoire um, and into, I guess, that athlete management and athlete training as well with my master's. So tying those things together into coaching and just trying to get, I guess, more performance-based um, a little bit from my side of things. And then also the rehab stuff really interests me and getting people back to training at full capacity, working through injuries, working around injuries and never really stopping training. So I guess that's the that's the T on me.
1: Yeah. Tom? Um, I suppose similar to Rowan in terms of how I got into gym, it was knee injuries in my case as well. Um, so played sport like I feel like most kids do growing up anyway, um, probably heavily soccer and swimming. So gym before the age of probably 19, 20 was basically non-existent. It was just kind of bits here and there for swimming um, related stuff, which was like using bands and shit. That's about it. Um, so I did both my ACLs not at the same time, but um, had them both operated on at the same time. And then more or less just got into the gym to try and strengthen them back up to play sport again. And then just kind of fell in love with training in general and um, just kind of realised I was probably past the point of going back to team sports just because I would re-injure like scar tissue in my hamstrings and stuff each time. So, um, I let that be. And, yeah, so that was – I've been made about 11 years now in the gym. So um, first competed in 2017. Um, yeah, back into 2017. And then again, season A, 2019. And then season B, last year, which feels like a long time ago already. Um, so, yeah, so I have three seasons now couple of unsuccessful um, successful preps in there just with COVID and stuff um but other than that that's pretty much my side of the gym as well um in terms of coaching and everything I think so I, I did my PT cert three and four um originally at the same time as Ben did um so that's how we actually met and then We've like also did like Asker Level One strength and conditioning along with him at the same time too. So that probably would have been what our first year after of,
0: yeah. after getting our certs.
1: Yeah. Um and then that in feels terms like of so long ago. <laughs> that feels what, like a long time ago. It <laughs> I, that was twenty fifteen, I think. <laughs> Sixteen maybe. God, you um, guys are old. So eight years, ago. yeah. Yeah, so eight years or whatever ago. Um and then yeah, just I guess learning in terms of what I've found works for me um, since then and, like, doing other online things and whatnot. Um, But, yeah, I guess kind of trial and error on myself and then determining what clients like to do um, and seeing what works for them. And I just, like, a little bit of, uh, what do you call it? Just missing the word there. Um, trial and error, like in terms of them. If, if there's no urgent rush um, for what their goals are, and not So,
0: I think I think it's like a, it's something that people are scared to say. Is that ninety percent of coach older? Ninety might be extreme. Seventy-five percent of coaching a client that generally wants a body composition result is trial and error, like anything, any result that I've had so far or anything that I've had work or like systems that I've used. Yeah, from each person, you probably learn to add to the next person or I like can take away from that person or like the, the problems and limitations they had. But majority of it is, yeah, there's that 25% that is the textbook and the data and like what the logic should say or what the procedure should operate as. But 75% of it easily comes back to, but what happened or what did didn't work? Did that set range work? What did this person's life get in the way? Did this happen or did this occur? And then being able to implement that on the fly and saying, well, you know, the data says that eight sets minimum should be what we need to stimulate a result and a muscle group should respond in eight to 10 sets minimum. And like, that's a MEV. Okay. But this person required 20 sets. So do we stop at the 10 or do we push to 20? Like that's right? Yeah, exactly. Like everyone I've coached had a unique response to what the data says should respond. And then, then being like, yeah, but this didn't happen. Like I've got, I've got, you know, even amongst our team, clients on fucking z- butt calories and yes. clients that are on an absurd amount of calories. Yet I know for a fact that one is pushing harder than the other.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, well, we all know who you're talking about. Um, and it's insane that like credit to him in, for, in general, that he can survive on that. And it's ridiculous that it's taken that much to get a result in the first place. Like, And then like you said, your other end of the spectrum, where. People can lose weight eating a stupid amount of food. So, like, again, yeah, like, it's not a textbook thing. Like, it's not one, one fit for everyone. And it's just something that you work, like, you have to figure that out. And I guess that's why, like, the 12-week prep has kind of disappeared and you like training training like having someone on beforehand because that's where you use that trial and error period. Yeah. To determine what works for them and what doesn't. And I
2: think being flexible is so important as well for us as coaches, like in anything, we can't look at someone like everyone from every level of physiology, physiology and psychology is completely different. Like Mm. if you go in expecting someone to respond one way or do one thing the odds are that they're they're not going to do anything similar so you have to be able to adapt and i guess that comes down to what we do which is track as much as we possibly can because that tells us exactly what's going on like we can go okay cool we've tried this 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 and this what worked did it work sweet okay we're probably on the right track yeah there might be something that's more efficient or more effective and we might find that later down the track when we do need to change things but at the same time, if it's working, why change it? But also if it's not working, we go, cool, we've got the data to support it. Sweet. All right. We're going to try and modify this, this, and this, and that's going to get our result that way. So we have to just be able to adapt to those things. And that's why we have the systems in place to track everything. Right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. Like to, to, to put it down to as if like you can have one system or one style only, and all your clients have to adhere to that, or like, this is what gets a result. I think he's just setting up way too many clients for failure. Like, as a coach, you can probably systemize and standardize to a certain level, like to a certain degree, you know, your onboarding process, the experience they have from day one, limitations or issues getting through the system. Like we've had across now been around for three years. We've had clients that the system is perfect yet somehow for their phone, their computer, whatever it is, it didn't work or like the email didn't send or the chain didn't break. So that systemized process, it you know it works for everyone. And then we can figure out that hiccup. the The macro setting or like the nutritional setting yeah, we can have a standardized approach where we're like, hey, we want you on chronometer. I don't care if you're aware of tracking food yet, but I want you to download chronometer, set it up and just start putting food in that you can understand. What did you eat today? Chicken. Okay, well, just tell me you ate chicken. How much of it? I figure it like, have a guesstimate as best you can. And then you might have people who are like the most adapt, like nutrition tracker ever. Okay, cool. I know that I'm going to get exact measurements off you. You're weighing everything. You're scaling everything. It's all like, quantified mapped out exactly what you're eating to the brand to the specific food type whatever you can systemize it to a degree but at at that that point where it starts individualizing and a a coaching system takes off is that we don't have that template because you can't everyone's so unique and different that the second you try to standardize that it just takes out the human error aspect that would just probably fuck them up
2: yeah i think you just have to you just have to see what people respond to and just you can give everyone the tools and i guess that's what we're here for is mm-hmm. to give you the tools to succeed um, and guide you towards what we know and have experienced what works but at the end of the day like it comes down to one you doing the work mm-hmm. and to us adapting to what work you do and where you're at from there yeah and i think a follow-on oh, yeah. from what you said before like I think if everyone, if you come in with one cookie cutter approach, like I think that's just wholeheartedly arrogant from your end. Like we don't know everything we are constantly studying and improving and changing and going back on things that we've done before. And I think for you to be like, every client should respond to this is just arrogant and like Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I think you need to look at what you're doing and why you're doing it. If that's the
0: case. Yeah. Like it'd get to a point to me, like if, if we started approaching it that way, I would throw in the towel because to me, then it's just become about taking money, not about actually individualizing and helping someone at a unique
1: level. Like well, it it's, just... it's not interesting either. Like yeah, if you're doing it that way, mm-hmm. what Imagine do you get I... out of it? Like in, on, in terms of a accomplishment level, like I, I can hand someone a program I wrote five years ago for myself, whatever, they can go and do it that, <laughs> i didn't tailor anything to them i I feel no accomplishment to that if they got something out of that because it's just like oh well, that's good but it's not like i tried it hard to make that work for you
0: yeah you got it you got it as a coach like <clears throat> well f- for me I get a completely different sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. If I get someone to like <clears throat> some of my guys that have given up alcohol because hey, they wanted to not because I forced it on them, but like getting some of my guys that have gone from four day binges to literally drinking uh, zero beers or Pepsi Max when they go out gives me a completely different sense of satisfaction to someone that I write a programming for and like get on stage and modify body composition and get a result there. Like you, the the sense of satisfaction as a coach has to be a big part of why you do it. Otherwise, yeah, you can template shit and just start dishing out like, well, here's a bikini booty program for you for, you know, 20 of the girls I work with, but they all look completely different with different structures, anatomies, structure, uh, conditions, levels of body fat, training histories, food tolerances, food exposure, calorie targets. It's like, oh, but this should work because booty girl. Like, you you want to
1: be a well, bikini girl, right? It only takes one or two of them to... uh get results from that and then they can market that and then that yeah. works for them doesn't it so yeah i just don't ever market the other people the other 90% yeah. of people that doesn't work for yeah
0: let's let's use a survivorship bias and say hey the two that's fucking followed through with this and survived it we got a result from them what about the other 80% that atrophied uh don't worry about, this. Don't worry about those guys that's yeah, yeah that's not your business it's don't worry about
2: not, that not important no nah,
1: that, that was that was their fault because they just didn't stick to the plan
0: they didn't have the willpower to follow through. <laughs> terrible coaching 101 they didn't have the willpower that's that's what it was
1: you've nailed it it's, just, it's not that you lacked flexibility and being able to adjust yeah.
0: <laughs> but like i guess like between between all three of us the commonality is that um well i think even getting into coaching one of the interesting aspects is that all three of us have an injury or disabled related history that got us into competing and in training which i think is a, a different level of I don't know it gives it a different level of meaning. I guess to me is that like I didn't get into it because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I started off jacked and this was super easy. For me, it was like dealing my back and shit. That the one thing that I can control and be competitive with was how I responded to my recovery and my rehab and getting back into the gym. Or you know what was the thing that they told me I couldn't do that now I want to do and actually start to grow from that. Like looking at the, I remember my my, my post rehab phase was looking at the exercise list that they had that I could do, and then gradually increasing that list. So that became like my objective measure of like successful rehabilitation was, well, they said I'd never do all these things and here's a list of stuff I can do. I'm going to gradually increase the list of stuff I can do by just figuring out what worked or what, you know, what did or didn't cause pain and what ranges of motion and what limitations. And then I was like, oh, but also alongside of that, my body was responding and I was like getting bigger or getting leaner or I was tightening up or I noticed better quads or my back looked wider. So then it became like, well, I also love bodybuilding. Now I've got an excitement to do bodybuilding. I can't play rugby league ever again. I'm going to train. And it still gave me that sense of satisfaction, a whole different level of enjoyment in the gym. But yeah, I guess to me it gave a different meaning as to why I went there versus I was just born big and I want to train.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Look, it definitely wasn't something that came naturally by any means. And like, I would even say um, when I first started going to the gym, it was just with a group of guys at college. And honestly we trained probably biceps and, that's about it. So, like, it was like three times a week we go in, and do breech Body curls, pumped. maybe some dumbbell curls, and see you later.
0: Pre uni um, night, pre Friday night, pre Valley night.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just before going out. Right. So, um, yeah, look, and like, look, that probably helped in a way because it was like, it was just fun because you were just there. It was just banter, whatever. Um, but then it, like, and then it obviously started to develop, like, once I, the injuries kind of were at a point where I was like, look, I need to take this seriously because I want to try and do that again. Um, so I gave it a bit more purpose. Whereas beforehand, it was just as a fun thing to do. So um, I guess, yeah, well, to me, it was just finding a purpose for it and then the love for it developed from that as well. Um, so probably a little bit opposite in that it's not like I walked in, like, in love with working out to start with. Like, like don't get me wrong, I, I used to hate, actually hate swimming training and things like that. Like, I was a terrible trainer. I could show up on a competition day and perform somehow, as opposed to how well I would be considered, like, in a, in a training session. So, um, it's a completely different thing now to have to perform basically every time you step into the gym because now the show day itself or the competition day is nothing it's showing the work you've put in previously which i mean is the same as any other sport still but there's less give i feel um feel like in terms of because it's such a slow grind to improve anything
2: I think that like, like we're all in similar situations coming from a sporting background to then going through rehab to then finding the gym after that. And I think that's a pretty good lesson for everyone out there is that all of us have just said, like you two have both just said that you found the gym first and then you got into it Mm -hmm. and then you started to get results and then you fell in love with it. So we're not here like, yo, we walked into the gym and we loved it from the bat. We went to the gym for a reason. We trained, we then saw results and then we went, hey, this is pretty good. I enjoy this. I might actually be okay at this. And then you fall in love with the process of that rather than kind of like falling in love with what we looked like to start Mm -hmm. or what kind of what we could get from it from now. And I guess that's something we see a lot now in social media is that people fall in love with the look and they go, I want to look like that. I want to be that. And then they get into the gym. But where's your emotional attachment to that? Where is your emotional kind of depth to achieve? Like, bodybuilding is not easy. Like, we all of us do it. And we do it day in, day out, 24-7, 365 days a year. Like, people ask me how long I've been prepping for. And I'm like, I've been prepping for two and a half years for this show. Like, my whole life is prep. And yes, I have cuts and bulks and stuff. But it is still prep. So without the emotional attachment to the love of training and the love of the journey and that, as Tom said, like the show day isn't, it's not like on a sporting day where you can turn up and you can just have adrenaline, you can perform like, yeah, sure. adrenaline's there on show day, but if you haven't done the work, you you can't perform regardless. So um, I think it's just interesting that we've all come from the same place and realized that we go for purpose, we get results and then we get love and motivation. Love and motivation don't come
0: first. Yeah, I think I think a big thing for me was like the um, gym was so almost like con- like stark opposite to why I do it now. When I was playing for like you know I was playing rugby league. Ask anyone that's still a now, or follower that is a mate from high school or around that time, I was like 55, 60 kilos going through year eleven. Like we played in a grade where teams we played against had Fiji internationals weighing one hundred and twenty. Like for me, it was more about. Um, trying to train for power explosion because I was a halfback getting thrown around or a hooker that was just too small. So it was like, well, in my head, I wasn't worried about, well, I've got to be 120 kilos on stage to be, you know, the next in-valley air. I have to be, you know, more agile and stronger to handle being the hit because I'd be the kind of halfback that would take a shot to put someone else in a hole. So my back was just constantly getting pumped. So I've got to be stronger in that regard, but I don't have to be bigger. Now, like coming out of that, obviously that injury, the, the excitement was, well, if I'm never going to play a footy game, well, now I can dedicate all that training and just see, you know, do I have the response to this? And that obviously started with firstly just finding progressive overload in rehabilitation. Like to find the progressive overload in, okay, well, I can do yoga three times a week. Can I do it a fourth? Or I was doing my core work three days a week. Can I do a, like an, an extra session? All that sort of like really mundane basic shit. And I was like, well, that that same premise applied there. Now, can it apply when I just train? And I want to look like Arnie and I've read all the Arnie magazine and the fucking, you know, the bodybuilding encyclopedia and whatnot. And now I just want to see if that metric applies and I'm going to do three hour training sessions and not eat enough food. Cause that was what we all did. But now like gradually over time, it gets to a point where like now I just have a genuine love for just pushing the data, but also pushing like the intensity. And that just, it grows over time. I think where, like you said, kind of people just think that you look at TikTok and whatever Instagram and now they're so accessible that you see it and it just, it's like they think that they have to train that way now. Like if I, I did Bumstead's program and he told me to do this burner or this session, but I don't look at Bumstead, but I'm I'm training to look like Bumstead instead of just training to fucking have fun and be jacked about it.
1: Yeah, people definitely get into it for the wrong reasons or they think it's like a quick kind of, not a quick fix, but I mean, they think, The process takes a lot shorter time than it probably does. Um, And like, yeah, like Ron said before, and just touched on this, it's like none of us got into the gym as something originally that we necessarily enjoyed. It's like we had a purpose and something we wanted to achieve at the end of it, and that was going to help us get there. So, I mean, if that's your case, is that you just, you want to lose weight or you want to be able to run faster or whatever, like that's your goal at the end of the day you going to the gym, you don't have to enjoy it to start with. You're just doing it to meet your goal. We all developed a love for it just over time. And it just became habit, essentially. It's like we did it enough to become habit. And it's like, okay, we just, we're just we going to do this because we do it every day. That's what we do. And it's like, oh, I actually enjoy this now. So it's not like people don't need to think that they should go to the gym for the first week and then just fucking love, love it. Like, it's yeah, not yeah. not going to happen. It's like, if you don't like it in the first week, it doesn't mean you need to just like, no, nah, it's not for me. Like, like, think about your goal and how you're going to get there. And at the end of the day, like, if that requires you to put in a little bit of work, then, and that isn't what you want to do, then the goal isn't for you. That's not... Hmm. Uh, meaningful goal because you don't want to work for
0: it yeah i think
1: i think that's
2: why we have the the goal setting sheet and that's why we push that so hard it's because like your goals have to mean something for to you they have to be important to you because if they're just i want to look like Bum, the odds are you're not going to look like Bum no matter what you do no matter how long you train for no matter what you are never going to get to well, you might. Don't get me wrong. Like, never say never. But the odds are
0: you're not going to be the best of the best in you know, a subjective yeah. body comp yeah. well, sport. Like, like he's, he's a generational anomaly. But even anatomically, like, even if you're even if you're training the exact same way that Bumstead is, you're just not going to look like Bumstead. Even if you become the next Bumstead in the sense of like you win five classic physiques and you've got a exploding YouTube and fucking whatever else, even in that sense, however you train, you're still not going to look like Bumstead. You're going to look like you. So the idea of like training for the look or appearance of someone else is just not a sustainable fuel source of motivation as a goal. And that's just going to lead you to just not handling what comes with prep. So I think the, like a, a, a very, something negative because it's not their responsibility, but it also, it's the accountability of the person watching it. If you just see someone prepping, like you watch Bumstead year on year, it's continually getting bigger and better. And like, if you're only an amateur follower of bodybuilding, you might watch him year after year on the Olympia stage And, you know, your only exposure is like, hey, this year to this year, he's gained 10 pounds and he looks fucking massive. His condition's improved and someone's putting a before and after. You might look at that and go, well, year on year, I can do that. Not looking at the amount of drugs and the consistent food and the priority of sleep and the exposure to not much other stimulus. He doesn't go out and party and do all these things and lack sleep and not get his meals in. You're not seeing that stuff. So you're just straight away like, oh, but I go four or five times a week like Chris does. Why don't I look like him? Or like. I train to failure on one set out of my training session, that's what he says. Why don't I look like that? Or I do all this accessory work, but I've never seen him and his previous programs that did all this heavy compound lifting. Why don't I look like him? Like it just it's it's so un unstimulating in a motivational sense that you're not going to fall in love with it because you're just going to lose interest and be fucking bored.
2: And I think people think that like I think the thing that we see in in people coming up and we see it in the gym all the time with the kids coming up and who have the social media generation, the TikTok generation, is that they see they see the end product and they go, Yeah, I can do that. But none of them have any idea on what a prep actually feels like and yeah. lack the singular focus you have to have, the takeaways you have to have from the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's all well and good to be good in the gym. It's all well and good to train hard. It's all well and good to look good on the beach. But mm-hmm. getting to stage lean and getting to bodybuilder lean is a whole different ball game. And I'm sure in you guys can attest to that. Like it's not, it's not something where you're like, yeah, this is cruisy. I'm loving this process. This is easy. I could do this twice a year, every year, blah blah blah. Like it's not how this works.
1: Yeah, you can't you can't do a prep unless going back to what I said, unless you enjoy just training and enjoy the process of it. And like you want to test yourself. Outside of that, like why would you prep? Like you like to mention, it takes a toll on social life, like any relationships in your life and things like that. Like that you might not think will affect you necessarily like oh I can still go out I just won't have a drink or whatever but you don't know that peer pressure is a a thing for a reason um and if you have your friends around you are not involved in that bodybuilding scene or whatever as well then they're not going to understand by any means and they're gonna like oh it's one night what's what doesn't matter like it's not going to make a difference and it does so like your environment is gonna determine a lot of things there too, and yeah, if you don't, so if you don't love the process and whatever, a prep is not for you. Yeah,
2: nah, no, you gotta prep for clout, man. You gotta prep
1: for clout. That's <laughs> yeah, important. Just shit. for the Instagram photos. Uh, yeah, just for the gram. Just gonna
2: do it. I just want to prep to do a photo shoot, bro. I don't want to compete. I just want to look good in a photo shoot. Come on, man. Bro. But
1: by all means, feel I'm free not to even do against that. that.
0: Fucking do it. I I would. Do you only need to deserve... prep
1: till like eight weeks out, like.
0: A photo shoot for most, and, and this is not in any way an offense whatsoever or intended to be rude. The average female photo shoot I'm seeing, you're barely getting to eight, to 10 weeks out in prep. Like you can get away with maybe 10, like you get like 10 weeks shy of getting on stage, do a photo shoot and you'll get the same clout and you'll get the same like, like uh female sisterhood support group. You'll get the same pump up on your post. You'll get the same like praise as if you got on stage. I would, I probably honestly would argue it's exactly, you probably get more.
2: Because, like, when you're on stage, you look kind of sick, whereas, like, 10 weeks out, you look just, like, good. So, you probably get more benefit from doing it earlier than rather
1: than pushing yourself to the end. Yeah, and, like, we are a small portion of people, like, right? So, it's, like, you, every day kind of person or jet pop doesn't necessarily find someone that's super lean, attractive. Like, no. Yeah,
2: yeah. We all want females. Like, well, you have veins now. running like,
1: everywhere and shit. Like people aren't necessarily gonna like that. No,
0: yeah, <laughs> people think you're weird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, and it it's yeah, like a, a big part of I think the the like pre-screen criteria for me. Like we talked about this a bit on the the training episode, Tom at at the gym, was that we have almost like a, I have a very strict approach to like whether I think someone's ready to prep or not, and it's honestly got like it takes all those factors into consideration. Like, are you someone who's trained before? Are you someone who's even dieted before? Are you someone who's gotten to at least a a level of condition that would warrant a photo shoot? Are you someone who's been exposed to those things? Are you someone who's been lean in the off-season again? Do you have, like, you know, if I'm, if I'm coaching, I'm noticing that there's stressful relationships or, like, you know, you're being pressured by parents or friends or a partner girlfriend or girlfriend or boyfriend or husband, to go do other things, yet you're supposed to be in a a stricter, more aggressive phase of cutting. And you'll find that hard because there's so many external pressures to what we're trying to do. For me, I'm like, well, you're not ready to prep. We haven't had those conversations with relationships or friends yet to say, hey, I can't actually do this. Like I can't go out and see those things and you pressuring me makes it harder. If you're not in that position where you've had those conversations, I don't even think we should be conversing about prepping yet because you're just psychologically, environmentally or psychosocially ready to be in a prep to the degree of like condition that i want to get you to there's just i just don't think like enough people are actually ready for that stern conversation or at least have set up their environment to say look the next 20 weeks or even 20 weeks realistically you should have the nuts and bolts of prep established almost a year out like you're at least at the point where everyone is aware of what you do your friends are aware of how you live your parents and your fr- your family are understanding your job and work know that this is what you do. Like, it's not like a, Hey, Friday beers, you're coming. Like they know how you operate. There's no pressure about the cakes on the table at the office and that sort of shit. The, the relationships around you, but also your lifestyle factors, your training schedule, your sleep schedule, like all of that is facilitated towards your training. And if it's not, we're either getting that to that point so that you can prep or we just don't prep. We might do a photo shoot instead, or just work on body composition. But I think if you're ha- if you haven't got those factors already established at like twelve months out, we need to spend at least that twelve months building that up so that we can say, hey, you're you've ticked all the boxes to get on, to get into prep
1: well, to this was, handle it. This is what, yeah, that's what Ron said before. He's not in prep now. He's been in prep for two and a half years. Like he's been ticking those boxes for that period of time. You know? So it's I I hate I don't like I mean I get it to a degree, but like when like say Fuad in his podcast talks about flipping a switch. When prep starts, like why why are you flicking the switch now? Like, shouldn't you have been yeah training with full intensity beforehand and trying to in off season, which is now kind of like more improvement season, I suppose you say. Like, shouldn't you be trying to do most of the work there? The, yeah. the prep is just the the lean out part, right? Like to show what you've been doing in your off season. Hmm.
0: Yeah, because you got you got that point in time where. um, like the, the prep realistically the reason why it gets so hard i think is because it's not it's not the physiological aspect like you if you're well set up you're already doing those things you're sticking to a nutritional strategy you've got training consistently exposed to a stimulus you're progressively overloading, you're training with intensity you're probably doing cardio like all those things are happening already the the prep and the way i referred to it on like the stc podcast is it's more so instead of like licking a whole switch and going from off to on is that you're going from fourth to fifth or fifth to sixth gear that's the the only way to describe it is that like you're 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 shifting up a gear tops maybe like that's the only way that it makes logical sense and from there it might become that there's a little less freedom there's a little less leniency you're more accurate with like it might be a 10 percent leeway macro so now it's like one to two percent there's you know usually i might have a six to seven hour sleep cycle if i decide to go out it's now seven to nine. You know, I don't miss step targets. I don't miss cardio targets. I'm not eating random shit and not tracking it. There's no free meals. That stuff kind of becomes tightened up. That to a lot of people sounds strict as fuck. To us, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, that's just the next level up. I'm, I'm, I've done all the work in the off season. I'm still like, none of us, I would argue, train shy of two RAR, not even remotely close, like genuine two RAR at least to zero every single week. And that is like off season through prep.
1: Oh, it's boring if you train any other way. To be fair,
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, as like, evidenced by every single one of my comments on my deload week this week, which was boring. Um, I don't
1: even my deload weeks now. I just I just don't go. Yeah, I just take. Which the week I mean, off.
2: like, I can understand that because like I had this conversation with one of the boys in the gym the other day, and it's like, why do you like? He's like, I don't want to come into the gym if I'm not sending it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I would rather I would rather just have a week to just chill out and then yeah. come back to the gym when I'm ready and be super hyped for it. Whereas me, like, I don't know what to do with my time if I'm not in the gym. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, hands. cool. What do I do with my hands? Where do I go? Like, where? What do I do with my brain? How many can a day? <laughs> Let's find <laughs> out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> lucky this deload's over. Um, but for me, I'm like sweet. Like we do a 50/50 deload where I just go yeah. in and do two sets at half weight and. I just cruise through and I still get a little bit of a sweat on. But it, for me, like in prep now, what it does is it gives me the time to go in and I can do steps. I can do yeah. very light training session. I do my cardio, I do my posing. And yeah. it keeps for me, like, this is a big thing I push my clients is that it keeps the habits and routines in a yeah. block. So you've got a block for exercise and you've got a block for training. Okay, sweet. If Even if I'm deloading, so my intensity goes from here to here, I still have that same block of time. And therefore, that habit does not change regardless week to week. So I'm not, as Tom does, like I don't take a whole week off and then have to go, oh, I've got to go to the gym again. I'm like, sweet, I'm at the gym anyway. I'm doing what I do normally. It's just that I'm not pushing myself to the limits. And then next week, I can just go, cool, still rolling.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I understand that. And in the prep, I still would, like if I had to deload in a prep, I would still be going, like for those purposes as well, just to try and stay like activity levels to a certain degree um but again with like the 50 as well like 50 and 50 in the past so that I do feel like I'm doing something I would just if I'm picking half the weight or I'm picking half the reps I basically just cluster everything together so if it's like if I have two sets like or four sets at half the weight I would just make it two sets for the 50 like, reps. reps. So it's like two right. sets of 20 instead of four sets of 10 mm-hmm. and half the weight. So by the time you get in 20, it's still like you start to struggle, but it's still the same volume total over the session. So, I mean, it's half of what I'm normally doing, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you feel like you're still hitting like two to one RIR by the end of it. So, yeah is decreasing
2: some tendon load and some tendon stretch stress
0: but that but that all comes back to even us then in the aspect of like we're trying to find ways to make the time off even harder like where we're like if we go in at all obviously it's going to be like we need to make it at least stimulating and exciting especially if we're in prep like where we're looking at from the aspect that and this is i think probably something that all three of us have have exposed ourselves over time with like what 15 nearly 20 years of competing history not in like year to year, but more so like over time of training and, and competing history between us, that you probably find that you gradually get better at as well. Like you get better at taking up that next gear and like the intensity increases and your training skill gets better. You hone the skill of prep better and better each time because that's what it requires. You know, the first time you did it, you looked that good or you could have been better or you weren't as full or you weren't as big. Okay, so how do I improve that? And that's where we're sort of talking about there is that, you know, I see it being pushed as like these 20 week random preps. Like, hey, you know, you want to get on stage and look your best as an absolute babe on stage or an absolute Jack dude. Like I can get you there in 20 weeks. They they can't like what you haven't, you can't do in 20 weeks what we've been doing over, over two years or three years. Like it's just, it's not uh, a feasible process, which is why, you know, we advertise, Hey, you want to do season B next year. It's already season A. Like we're already past season A now. I need at least like, if we map this out in periodized process, I need a priming phase for you to come on board to make sure you have no niggles and injuries, to make sure your body's right, that everything's healthy, that we're building up to a maintenance level of calories before we decide to cut or bulk uh, or cut or grow, tighten you up to a better position, increase the runway length of time that we can have an off-season for, work on the weaknesses that you have before you even consider stage. Okay, now we've actually got to a decent position of calories, body composition, muscle mass and size. Now we've got to hold this, make sure we solidify it. Then we run you into a pre-prep phase to tighten up, life is on point, your systems are in check, your boxes are being ticked. Oh, now we can do the 24-week prep. That all isn't happening in 24 weeks. Like that idea, like you can kind of get away with it at the pro status because your life is literally competing. That's it. That is, you're you're a professional athlete. But for the average person to see like these people that push like a, almost use it as like a body transformation, but like, but for stage, like no, no, you, you cannot do it and actually get a, a decent result, or feel good about yourself, or you know, feel like you've achieved something significant because you haven't dedicated the same effort or time that everyone else has. And the only way you probably can do that is in that twenty weeks you destroy a whole lot of gear.
2: Don't tell me with a good time.
0: <laughs> so how do I sign up?
2: <laughs> yeah, is that an, is that are we offering that? Is, is that sound? a sale? Was this a oh, sales yeah. pitch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I also think like uh, don't get me wrong like I think the transformation stuff has its place but I think that long term if you want to be a bodybuilder like we're looking at like what do we have in place for us like in terms of like long-term plans like we're looking at like the end of this decade being competitive like and and going to the next level like it's not something where I'm like yo I'm gonna go pro next year like yeah I'm ready to roll like yeah, I just turned 26, cool, 27, I'm going pro. Like, no yeah. chance. Like, maybe by the time I'm early 30s, I might get there. And, like, I know that that's how long it takes even with supplements to get to that next level. Like, it's not something where I'm sitting here being like, yeah, cool, I'm I'm ready to go. Like, no chance.
1: Yeah, I mean, outside of your genetically elite kind of people like your Nick Walkers and whatever, people aren't getting there at a young age um and it like it's a long endeavor and i agree that the transformations have their place in terms of people probably should do a transformation before they if they're like oh i want to do a prep just for the experience um then a transformation is probably the better option because it's like okay there's a diet stick to a routine whatever for 12 weeks minimum um and at the end of the day if you can't do that then you're not, then you're not going to do a prep, are you? So, I mean, it's a good test the waters kind of idea. And yeah, if you want to do your photo shoot, photo shoot at the end of that, everything it's like, you know, there's a deadline at 12 weeks. It's not something like 20 weeks long, all that kind of stuff. Like it's much more suited to a lot more people. Yeah.
0: Yeah, just I just think the idea, like the the, the idea of the experience, like if we look at it from even that realm, the idea that you, you get to just experience the NRL or you get to just experience like the EPL or Major League Baseball, like you don't get to go from the grandstand, like, oh, I'd really like to experience that. And if you do, it's probably on a weekend away from the rest of the crowds, away from anyone, away from being judged, probably on like a park level with your mates, throwing a ball, pitching a ball, kicking a ball, whatever it is. And you just have a laugh about it. To think that you go from like, hey, I watch my girlfriend's friend's best friend's sister look super hot in a tiny G string in front of a thousand people, but also I haven't addressed or unhinged the fact that I have my own internalized insecurities around body image, self-esteem, self-worth, my relationship with food, because I've never been lean before. I think I want to do that. Like that it's so conflated and misconstrued, I think, as to like why you prep. And like it is a competition. Like there's it like, yeah, you can do it. I'm doing it to be the best me and and beat me. Cool. But also you're against 20 other people that are going to be used to judge you on yourself. Like, I don't care what other tangible, like subjective metric you want to measure about how internally good you feel about yourself. And, you know, I got there, so I feel great. There is also a part of you that is immediately compared to the person next to you as to how you look and then whether or not that's worth a place or that's worth rewarding because that's what it is. Like you're, you're, that's why I look at things like challenges or photo shoot preps and stuff like that as a different story. The photo shoot is literally just you by yourself on a beach, at a gym, in a bikini, in posing trunks, in a in briefs, whatever you, male or female, and no one else is compared to you. the The next level to that is that you're being on stage. Yeah, sure, you can say it's against you. You can say I'm trying to be the best me possible. That's cool. If you want to be the best you possible, you don't need to get on stage for that. You can literally just continue that endeavor forever. But the, the the minute you add a competitive edge to it, then it becomes about, especially when it's tied to a how we look, well, all of a sudden you're now experiencing, if you will, if that's what you want to call it, you're an ex- it's an experience that where we're picking out your weakest body parts, your fattest body parts, and how shit of an effort you gave because, well, you're not as lean as the next person, so therefore you didn't diet as hard, as long, or as intense. Like You're now being judged against that. So to me, it's a fucking horrible notion to think that I'm just going to do this for an experience. Like to me, the like if it was to come down to say, I want to do it for an experience, it's because you're athletically inclined and competitively driven. And that's the experience you want to have. I want to take my competitive nature to the next level. Not mm-hmm. I want to experience what it's like to be on stage, try and get lean and then probably binge myself two months after.
2: Yeah, I definitely yeah. think like you have to be, I think there needs to be more knowledge out there about, the after effects of a prep like i know that like it's all like out there on social media but like joe mansell put something up the other day about like how difficult post prep is and that's coming from a man who's competed for 25 years straight or whatever however long he's competed for
1: we all, and- we all know it hey.
2: Yeah, but you don't know it until you go through it. And no one tells you, especially at yeah. the first one, especially in a body transformation yeah. one, they're like, yeah, we're well, cool. We get to show days this day and my coaching finishes the day after that. Yeah. Uh Have fun. Um And yeah. <laughs> like, I think it creates these things where like, it took me like, there's a reason I didn't compete for five years, like, or six years. Like I mentally, like after my first show was a complete wreck body image wise for a long time and i know that like often it's always female based in this stuff but like guys get exactly the same thing we just don't talk about it um and like it took me a solid six years and good coaching and a good plan to get to the point where i'm like yeah i'm mentally ready for this and it still sucked and it's still hard every day so there needs to be knowledge around this is what this process is going to get you to on stage or to photo shoot but this is what you need to do afterwards because otherwise transitioning back to normal life like it's going to hurt and it's going to be hard and you need to have a
1: plan in place it's like even when you know when you've experienced it before it's still hard going through it again yeah. and it's just like you're just aware that the heart like, is okay coming. yeah she's like yeah he's like okay comm's done sweet and then your brain's just like now we can have some freedom, but at the end of the day, it's like, you still need to taper that in. Mm. And it is so hard to not just eat until you, are uh, like you don't get full. So like, yeah, it's just not a manageable thing, regardless of how prepared you think you are. And so it's like, yes, I agree And that a lot more coaches may do it now. And it's a good thing that you you have someone there in your corner to guide you through that process as well um like even my first comp my coach at the time it, like he made it a thing like when i signed up that yes you paid for coaching still for a couple of weeks after the comp yeah so I, i've actually had good experience in it and my first time it was like okay so i actually had him still there providing a plan to like taper things up and whatever and yeah two weeks probably isn't still long enough but it was better than nothing yeah um, and particularly being the first time I would have had I would have just been like I'm hungry I'm gonna eat whatever the fuck I want and I would have just blown out like so I mean yeah it, like it doesn't get easier regardless and like even this time around same things like I'm hungry I want to eat. you feel like you should have the freedom after 20 weeks of dieting, but you still don't and you're like where does where does it come so
0: but I think even that's that's like another like indicative reason of why most people need to stop looking so short-sighted. Like the, the prep view is always like the experience of show. I just want to do a show or like I want to get on stage once or I'll see if I like competing. But you're not looking at the long-term like, do you want to be a competitive bodybuilder? Because this is a lifestyle of continued choices and continued actions over a period of time that can go on for the better part of two decades. And the idea that like, you know, I want to go back to normal life. Well, like we said at the start, realistically, your normal life should be this. Like not to the point where, you know, you're removing friends and cutting everyone out like forever, but, you know, it should be very easy for you to go up or down a gear if you need to make that shift where you can kind of go, hey, look, fucking friends and family, next six months, not doing sweet FA. I'll come around when I can expect that. Or, you know, hey, I'm in off season. Like you guys want to go get a burger or have some pizza or you know, this is where I can fit this stuff in. But like, for us still, the the phases between shows, I'm not going out getting shit-faced, getting on drugs and drinking and partying and not sleeping and missing meals and things like that. Like, I'll be up at night, especially if I had a day of work where I've missed food. I'm getting that food in, probably the same meals. I'm not making it any easier on myself. I'm probably getting those same meals. Just I'm just going to go to bed full. I'm like, oh, I fucked up and missing some of my meals here. I'm getting them in because I know... Missed MPS, missed protein consumption, missed calories, I drop weight, I fall back, I lose size, it washes off, all that shit. So I know for me to be above the 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 normal state that my body wants to be in, it's a continued exposure experience. I can't do it for one show and be like, oh, you know, it's all done now, whatever. The idea that, you know, the the I've done one show, I'm gonna go back to normal life, just it probably like it shouldn't even be a a consideration, if you will, that I'm going back to normal life. Like your normal life to me is is if you want to get on stage, it means to me your normal life is training, nutritional adherence, or nutritional knowledge. Like yeah, you might add your cardio and posing and stuff, but likelihood is most of your normal life revolves around doing this. So it's like we do this over the span of an extended view of you know five years, ten years. That's that's the normal life. That's not mm-hmm. something you just sort of like turn off and on and go. Oh well, I'm going to go from six months of sending it at the nightclub to now six months of sending it in the gym.
2: Yeah, and I, but I don't think, like, I also want like preface, like, we're not saying don't compete. Like, I oh, don't yeah, think no, that's the thing. Not. Like, competing Between 20 years awesome, of competing man. here, competing we love competing. Is, yeah, we love yeah. to compete. But at the same time, we just have reasons to do it and we structure our lives to do it to because this is what we love. And I think you have to have that knowledge of why you do it, what you're passionate about. And, mm-hmm. like, a big thing is what you're willing to sacrifice for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess what we're saying is, compete if you love it but don't compete just for the hell of it
1: and just to go with that too it's like obviously you need to try it to know if you're going to love it for or sure not. yeah so it's like yeah you can't just like you may need to experience it for lack of a better word to to know whether you're going to enjoy it, that process or not and you can deal with it and whatever so yeah uh, that's
0: that's like kind, kind of, of like catch the... 22
1: in that regard but
0: I guess, and this is where kind of like the way I've started to really systemize it is the gradual exposure at both ends of extremity for a client. Like if I know I want you to tighten up before, like when we started work, like we start working together and I want you to be in a starter, a leaner position, we might go through a four week aggressive phase so that I can see and, you know, might ask you what your nutritional history is. Like, can you handle dieting? Have you done it before? Yeah, I've been lean before. I've dieted before. Okay, cool. We do a four week aggressive phase because, you know, you've given me the all clear, you're mentally sound, you're in a good position. That's going to give me an indicator of how extreme you can diet or how hard you've dieted before. If you're like crying, you know, mercy at 2,500 calories. Well, you know, things are going to get a lot worse than that. So that's a good indicator to me. We're going to need some more time to graduate those extremes. Same time. Oh, have you grown before? Have you been on a surplus? Yeah. I eat to grow. Okay. What's your food intake? I put you on 3000 and you're a hundred kilo man and 3000 is suddenly like you're feeling sick or full or can't eat more food. Okay. Again, We've got a lot more to go here. Like I feel attacked, to, but
1: anyway. Need, yeah, a I mean, my first off-season, my 1st off
0: Yeah, my first <laughs> off-season, I was on twenty five hundred calories and felt sick. Anxiety and stress is not a good indicator for for food. Um, but in that essence, like the gradual exposure should come across across the coaching experience, instead of like kind of getting to prep and saying, "Now I'm going to start dieting." Like you should probably have a pretty good indicator of how you respond to dieting long before you get to that 20, 24, 26 week prep. Otherwise, you're in for fucking hell. If you've never experienced an aggressive phase before or like, you know, a lower calorie target, an aggressive calorie target, you're probably going to be in for a shit time. Whereas if you have that year, year and a half ahead, you know, like, oh, I can I can phase this and expose over different periods of time and try different techniques, you know, longer drawn out cuts or aggressive cuts, larger surpluses, more controlled surpluses, like you, you get that that chance to work. It. And I think that's where our system is pushing so heavily is that I'm not going to market to you coming on board in 20 weeks to start a 20 week prep. Um, I'm marketing and advertising to you to start now because I know this is a life we have to build rather than this is something you just pick up and all of a sudden you can handle.
2: Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta build into handling it. But I think like, as you said, like, that's a nice way of, I guess, like Tom said, we have to experience it. Like, running an aggressive tighten up phase is like hey like do you actually want to get on stage like we're gonna do this but we're gonna do this for 16 to 20 weeks like yeah. is, are you sure this is what you want to do like it sucks like it's not like it's easy so i guess that can be a little like experience per se and then like as we said like photo shoots and everything come into that so we can be like cool do you really want to prep all right cool like, let's organize a photo shoot for eight to twelve weeks. We're gonna smash it down. You won't be stage, you won't be stage lean, but you'll have a solid tighten up phase. Did you love it? Yeah. Okay, cool. Now we prep for the next one. Yeah.
0: Now
1: we or all did you hate it?
2: Out. Yeah. Or did you hate it and go, all right? Why do we want to compete then? Like, why yeah. are we
0: competing? Yeah. You, you hate the photo shoot composition. There's a high chance you're gonna hate the dieting lifestyle of body or stage condition.
1: mm Hmm. So.
0: But I guess like, uh, you know, because we'll talk on this sort of stuff forever and the whole input, te- the whole intent is going to have several episodes, not one gigantic one, is between us, there's X amount of years of training, competing, sports history and things like that. I guess like for, for anyone listening, coming on board or, or wanting to, I guess, know a bit more experience or, or know a bit more about it, what I guess, because we've done nothing but kind of rag on the average person that shouldn't compete, what would you say between the three of us, like each one of us give an answer, but what are some of the positives that you found over time and the continued pursuit of competing and bodybuilding where, you know, everyone nowadays in 2023 and in Australia, it's like body composition is a terrible goal and you're a shit coach if you encourage body compositional transformations and fucking weight loss or whatever else. What do you think are some of the positives that you've taken away from competing that have impacted your life?
1: um i'm griffiths um basically just establishing the routine and discipline in other aspects of your life like i mean i've i'm sure you've talked about this before i've definitely seen it recently um but yeah 100 like just if you're not disciplined in pursuit of bodybuilding that's not going to work and so you have to be there and then it just carries over into the rest of your life so like um other work the work aspects of things um i mean anything right like if you need to save for something like you are disciplined in that process and just how your your mind what works now um routine is a big one um time management for a big part like like you're going through a prep or whatever like you've got to fit your cardio in you've steps realistically should just be what you normally do anyway but you've got to make sure you've got your meals there and yes you might be eating less but you still want to be able to space them out at the right times. you've got to fit your training in um if you are trying to still like obviously keep your relationships at a healthy level you're trying to make time there be proactive in your work still when you like got brain fog and all that kind of stuff so yeah i mean time management discipline and I mean, just a work ethic in general, I suppose.
2: I think the biggest thing for me, I found in like, obviously we've all come from sporting backgrounds. We've all come from team sporting backgrounds, like swimming less so, um, but soccer itself. And I think the biggest thing for me positively about bodybuilding is the fact that it is all on me. And hmm. like, that's a scary thought. And that's like a big thing. But for me, like, I love the fact that, yeah, Ben tells me what to do, but no one else is doing it the work i can't rely on anyone else for anything um and i think that's my that's my biggest thing about bodybuilding is that this is purely what i do and as personal personal development exactly and and it all shows on that one day so it is Mm -hmm. all of the things that you do every day that get you to that result is all based on you and nothing else in life really is ever like that. Everything else is kind of surrounded by other people. And I think for me, that's the that's the biggest thing I love about bodybuilding outside of having abs. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. it's nice
0: when you have them, when they're there. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think yeah. like the, to kind of like add to that is there's no other sport I've done. Like, you know, I've played pretty decent levels of rugby league schoolboy levels of things like AFL, you know, state levels of of touch, bits of soccer,
1: cricket. We get but, it, superstar.
0: More so that I sucked at other things and I didn't really with them. <laughs> but like the fact that in all of those aspects, nothing has ever been so all-inclusive and all-encompassing and all requiring. Like I kind of like it, to touch on what you said there is like to get on stage, the result is a direct reflection of the work that I'm putting in and then how long I'm willing to put that in for. So the result I get now yeah, sure it's a reflection of the work at this level but you know if I slack off in my off seasons or I slack off in my you know tighten up phases or I slack off in future instances the the next time on stage is a direct reflection of what I did in time gone and there's nothing else in life that I've done where that's so accurate or so uh, accountable and so there's just something to be it's I think for a lot of people will be scary but it's fucking positive because you have to take accountability and ownership at every level there's nothing you can cut it sort of half ass and be kind of in but kind of out like i hate when people are like uh all or nothing doesn't work it's like well if if you want to get on stage it becomes all or nothing in the sense that you know yeah there's the rest of the lifestyle factors you know like tom sort of said there if you've got relationships partnerships business relationships whatever like you're managing those but they are all almost deterministic or, or held in relation to how hard you train, prep, live towards that goal.
1: They're part of the all. It's not like if you if that's part of your life and part of your prep or whatever, that's part of the all. Exactly, like, yeah. It's encompassing, encompassing right? It's, an,
0: it's almost like an umbrella term. And I think that's, yeah, something that people need to, to understand as a positive is that, yes, it will require everything you have. And then the likelihood is that to get better, it's going to ask for more. And you can't either, you know, you can't get away from it. And to get away from it just means you're going to get less results. And like, you know, you can you can dabble in a prep or experience a prep. Like I'm going to try it and be intuitive and not be a check my data. And I might kind of just see how best I go and see if that pans out in the long run. The likelihood that you get a good result doing just that is so improbable that it's just not mm-hmm. worth doing. The fact is you're going to dip your toes in. It, you may as well do it. And that is like, and be reflective of your result. And I think that's such a positive thing to me because I've never done anything else where it's so reflective of my effort. And at the same time, doesn't guarantee me anything. Anyway, it's just purely how long can I delay gratification? How long can I work towards that same fucking goal, the same outcome, and continue like, you know, rugby league? You might play your your twenty week or thirty week season, but that off season phase, ninety percent of the of the average rugby league player, that's holiday time, that's piss up time, it's get on the food. Most guys come back fat. Then we got to do off season to tighten up. This like you don't have that you don't have that yeah, level of downtime this,
1: this isn't this isn't skill based that's why I mean. mm. yeah exactly
0: it's and i think
2: like the other thing that's the beautiful thing about bodybuilding is you learn like where else do you learn so much about yourself yeah like really like where else do you sit there and go shit like i've done all of that and i do all of that and i've been through all of this to get there like Just other than yourself. life itself like where else do we get that from nowhere yeah
1: yeah
0: and that that i think is probably the part that people get scared of most is like it's going to expose you like you you will have to do all those things but yeah like you said it, that's such a positive return as well like you now see a new level of operation that you can you can handle like you can now see you have a new level of mental capacity or mental ability or resilience that you probably didn't have before because you pain you know, barrier yeah fucking pain barrier hunger barrier like mentality barrier, like you you can now see this whole other level of operation that you didn't have because you put yourself through it. And that is literally the degree, like it's there's no better reflection of building resilience or or mental fortitude in any other sport any of us have done. Like you can train your ass off in other sports, but it's just not going to be so demanding in other aspects that, you know, combining training, psychology, nutrition, all the things that we push here that is so important to understand is because in a prep, it brings it all out. You need to be on point with nutrition. It's not like, you know, people are like, oh, it's 30% diet and 20% rest and 60% or 50% training. No, no, it's a hundred percent training. It's a hundred percent of your diet. It's a hundred percent of your psychology. It's a hundred percent of your lifestyle. And that's like, hey, it's fucking exciting to me. That 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 makes it a positive to me. I think prep is like the the great exposure, right?
2: It's the great exposure of who's willing to put the work in. It's, yeah. it's the exposure of who's willing to push and who's willing. And you can see on stage, like we've been to shows where you can tell people haven't been willing to go to that length and, and go that time, regardless of the potential they have, regardless of mm-hmm. the starting point, the condition, what they've done previously. And that's, I guess, like the double-edged sword of prep is that if you don't show up on the day, you don't show up on the day. It is yeah. a one day thing. And that is all that matters. Um, and it is very clear when people don't do that sometimes.
0: But I guess I kind of like finalize that point is that you also, that means you have to enjoy the process along the way. Like if you're not someone who enjoys regiment, strictness, diet, accountability, like being hungry or training fucking hard, putting in the hours to do the cardio posing like, if you're not someone who enjoys the overarching process, which is why I talk about so heavily the different types of goals we can have, which is process, performance, and outcome. We can't set, like, you know, you go back and watch the the YouTube episode of, of season B where I said like, I can't set a goal to be, first place i can't set a goal to be winning because it's just like i can train towards it but i can't be like this is an objective tangible metric that i want to achieve in the sense i can control everything else like i can control my steps nutrition my posing my fucking business work my sleep everything else i can actually control that but i can't set winning as a as a tangible objective outcome i can set it as a wish list or like a, i hope so because it's such a subjective sport But it means that along the way, you have to also enjoy the entire process of it. Otherwise, like you said, it's one day for five minutes and then it's over.
2: We talk a lot, but we do get around to the same point sometimes, if you can't tell. (laughs) This comes back to right at the start when we were speaking about how we got into the gym and found love and motivation for it. It's the same thing. Yeah. It just comes around in a circle. You put the processes in place, the habits in place. You do it. You see results. Then you get motivation and love for it same training getting into training and then getting into comps and then continuing to do comps is exactly the same it's all circular Mm
0: -hmm. i agree but i guess that brings us to a very uh exciting rambled end to an episode um but yeah i guess uh gentlemen there'll be more of these to come and more exposure to us as a a unit and a team which will be good get more shit to talk and maybe drop some education in there (laughs) or we just start talking more shit and drop out the education
2: and yeah, i guess we get like, to look over the next six months as your guys cheeks go this way and mine goes this way yeah
0: they're getting that's that's my the scap's indicator for me to drop fat is like right we need to tighten up when this gets too fat and your waistline gets too big and i'm like cool that's
1: Sweet.
0: great measures i've got veins in my quads i don't care your waist is getting fat okay all
1: right do you <laughs>
0: Jeez, i'm genetically born with big legs look at me i'm mad <laughs> hey, 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 hey! I uh,
2: Tom did biceps five days a week when he started. I did squats five days a week. So thank you.
0: <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I was but, generally uh, fat. Uh, I just get fat. I got nothing else. There's nothing else going on. <laughs> 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 um, give us your give us your Instagrams and stuff like that. So anyone that isn't either following, which is probably not very likely, but if they aren't, um, we can start really connecting the team and into a more of a network and and see everything going on.
1: Um, that makes me need to actually know what my Instagram off the top of my head is.
2: Um uh,
1: mine uh, is... is go on, Tom Tom Axe underscore T O N A X E underscore
2: cool, and mine is Rowan Herklotz R O W A N H E R K L
1: O T S. Then. obviously, we're always
2: on the uh matter page as well, so
1: yeah. Make sure you like, follow,
0: subscribe, all that jazz, and the cheesy stuff that every influencer says at the end of their stuff. Make sure you do those nice. ones. Do you have any questions? you might start doing some questions eventually as well. We'll drop some question boxes up and answer those. And who knows? We might end up as big as Bro Chat.
2: Who knows? <laughs> I just want to be that big physically, but
0: yeah, so I mean so that's yes, all. Do. I don't fun. care about the
2: follow part. Yeah, I don't. I honestly don't care about the podcast. As long as I'm as big as Ian one day, I
0: don't care. <laughs> just one day. Yeah. Just one day. Yeah. One day, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, train train my day. entire life, get one day, then retire. Yeah, I'll be done. I'm packed. I
1: can now. die the next day, I'll be sweet. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's the plan, actually. Sorry, I'm out. We've that. done it. You've
1: <laughs> you
2: now got to carry a
0: 300-pound coffin, so that's on you guys. That's, yeah. That's, that's. I just need to be bigger than the guy's coffin next to me.
2: <laughs> yeah. As Rich would always say, leave a big coffin. <laughs> yeah, that's who we should idolize. Absolutely. Wait till I get some tats. Then we're good. Eight
0: hour, eight hour arm workouts. Let's go. Why is go, that guys. not in
2: my program already?
0: <laughs> That's it from us. Appreciate you listening. And we will
1: be back again soon, I am sure.